Welcome to Chinuch 2.0, a show about the massive changes happening to how we do Chinuch, some of which may never be the same again. Today's show, we speak about an idea to help solve the crisis of yeshiva tuition. It's a favorite topic of mine, and we interview a man who has a plan that can drastically reduce or even eliminate tuition entirely, if only the schools would be willing to go along with the idea. Our guest today is Jeff Kirschblum, who is a business consultant and who realized that the problem of yeshiva tuition is only getting worse. According to his findings, the cost of private school tuition, yeshivas and day schools very much included, is growing at twice the rate of inflation, which means that if the cost of living increases 2% a year, tuition will increase 4 to 5% a year. This means that the cost of tuition would double every 7 to 10 years. So if tuition costs 12000 a year on average now, it's going to be $25,000 or more in just about 10 years. I don't need to tell you that most people's salaries are not going to double in that same time frame. The percentage of a family's income that goes to tuition keeps on getting higher and higher, which is unsustainable in the long run. The high cost of tuition has many negative side effects. It forces women into the workplace even when they don't want to work. It causes tremendous stress on the family's finances, which in turn causes a stress on the marriage. But here's probably one of the biggest impacts of high tuitions. Unfortunately, it's become a very effective form of birth control. Yes, there are many families who consciously choose to have less children than they otherwise would simply because they can't see themselves affording all those tuitions. To blame the schools is foolish. Even with these high tuitions, the schools struggle terribly. Most yeshivas, tuition doesn't even come close to covering their budgets. And they have to supplement it with very aggressive fundraising, as I'm sure you're all well aware. The problem is only getting worse, and something needs to be done about it now. Hashem doesn't give us a challenge that we can't solve ourselves. There is a solution out there. We just have to be willing to look for one. Our guest has come up with a plan that solves this very issue. As you'll hear... According to his plan, tuition can be significantly reduced to a point where it is no longer a severe burden on most families. And the money for all this is already available. Jeff is a man after my own heart. He doesn't work in a yeshiva. He isn't hired by any yeshiva. He just saw a problem and decided to put his Yiddish cup to work and attack the problem head on. During the interview, 
we discussed the general idea of his plan because it's not the place to delve into the fine details. But for those who want to see more, you can access it from the link in the show notes at chinuchshow.com. Before we go to our guest, I just want to say one thing about him. The fact that Jeff has a great idea is not what makes him special. Lots of people have good ideas, and some of them are quite good. But what makes Jeff unique is that not only did he have a good idea, but he puts intense effort into bringing his plan to fruition. And that's what sets him apart from everyone else. Lots of people just like to complain and throw their ideas on other people to do. But Jeff actually put the work in to make sure his plan happens. If you have a good idea for solving the tuition crisis or any other issue facing our community, you have a chiv not to keep it to yourself. Put in the hard work to make sure your voice is heard. Don't stand by silently when the building is burning down. Speak up and be heard. Now let's go to our interview with Jeff Kirschblum. We're speaking with Jeff Kirschblum. He's a business consultant in Muncie, and he's the, he's the one who started the Rebbe Life Insurance Initiative about 10 years ago, that Rebbeim should have life insurance through the yeshiva. And he also is the creator of the Jewish Educational Endowment Fund, or JIF for short, whose purpose is to secure an affordable Jewish education for our children. Welcome, Jeff. How are you? Good to talk to you. Nice so, to talk to you. Good evening. Good evening. Let's start, right, let's start first by discussing the problem that you're coming to solve. What is the problem, the crisis that Jewish education is facing that your fund is coming to address? Okay. The, the, the major problem is, is that the high cost of yeshiva tuition. Um, you know, after speaking to so many people and reading so many different articles, the number one argument in households between husband and wife is over money. And the biggest expense that one has is sending the kids to yeshiva. The yeshiva bills have gotten so astronomically high that in some cases, they've priced themselves out of the market and people are finding other ways to educate their children via homeschool. Uh, some, in worst case scenarios, have sent their kid to public, kids to their public school. Um, and what we're trying to do is make yeshiva tuition affordable. So talk about how the cost of yeshiva tuition impacts both families that are below the poverty line and even families that are middle class or even well-to-do. Well, it's, you know, I liken this to a story of someone who makes $150,000 a year. He had approached the board, and this is a true story. He had approached the board. Um, asking for a reduction in tuition. And the guy said, okay, just, you know, it's, uh, uh, roughly how much do you make? And the guy told him, he's embarrassed to say, but he makes $150,000 a year. So the guy on the board looked, you know, looked at him like he was crazy. You, you have the nerve, the chutzpah, to ask 
for a reduction in tuition when you make $150,000 a year? And the guy said, listen, he said, let's figure it out. Uh, after taxes, I come home with about 100, 110,000. He said, I got a mortgage. I got real estate taxes. I got to pay insurances. I got to pay for food. You know, I, I have to pay for all the necessities. Forget about the vacations. There's no money left. When you calculate tuition, just in elementary school, on average, on average of about $18,000 a year per child, he said, I just can't afford it. And this is when, when I heard this story, we, we realized how, that something has to be done. And we looked at different ways that other areas of, like, like colleges, how colleges do it. And there are ways such as endowment funds that we need to put money back into the yeshiva system in order for education to be affordable. Mm -hmm. Okay, so before we get to your initiative, talk about what, was, what, what made you get involved? Were you on a board? Were you involved in the operating of the yeshiva? No. As a business consultant, you're always looking for ways to solve problems and issues. Like we did with the insurance, you know, I, with, with the insurance for Abayim, I had just, I had been approached by somebody that says, you know, a couple of people actually, that says we need to raise money for, for this almana, for that almana. And I realized there has to be another way. Same thing here with the tuition. There, had to, there has to be another way. We can't just afford for the tuition to go up and up and up. And as a consultant, I just try to use my business experience business experiences to figure out how to make this thing affordable, how to make tuition affordable. Okay. Um, before we get to, uh, also before we get to the solution, a little bit more about the problem. You say that the, the cost of tuition keeps on going up and up and up. Was there, first of all, was there ever a point in time in the modern era that tuition was affordable? And, do you have any good explanation for why the cost of tuition keeps on going up much higher at a much faster pace than inflation? Well, as, as someone who's not in the system, uh, when I say not in the system, in the school system, I can't say specifically why it goes up. Statistically, it doubles, tuition doubles every seven to 10 years. That's a statistic. So knowing that as a fact, can, can you imagine if you're making, a, if somebody is lucky enough to make $150,000 a year, well, he would need to make $300,000 plus in order to keep up with the rising rates of yeshiva tuition. Mm -hmm. That's just asking too much. Right. And it's, not, it's just not sustainable. Correct. Mm -hmm. Now, the schools are going to say, listen. It's not like we're doing well. We're charging more money, but we're not doing better financially. We're, the, we're, we're not able to pay our teachers or obeying market rates, you know, compare, compared to what, what's out there in the, in the, public, in, in the private sector. Um, and they're, they're also saying that their costs are going up astronomically. So is it, is it something on the school side, mismanagement? Is, it, is, is, there, is there any reason on, that we can see 
as to w- why their costs are, are just out of control? My only answer to that, because I, I, I can't say mismanagement because I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm not in the school system. However, I think it's less and less people can afford to send their kids. They're getting tuition breaks, which means those who pay full tuition are paying for their kids and somebody else's kids. Mm-hmm. And see, that's really, you know, when I originally did this thing, that was the only reason that I can put on, you know, to figure out why tuition is going up um, so much. And the truth is, because we're pricing so many people out right now because of the high cost, it's going to get more and more expensive because less people can afford it. Mm-hmm. That's a very interesting observation that what's happening is the reason why tuition is going up is because the well the financially well-off families are subsidizing the cost of educating the many many families that can't afford full tuition correct Mm -hmm. interesting um in your in your endowment fund description which uh will link up in the show notes the really really very thorough description of of how this program works um which we'll touch upon a little bit soon but over there, you quote uh, research conducted by the Independent School Management Board. Uh, they suggest that schools have to raise tuition 2% or more above the overall inflation rate. So if the overall inflation rate is, let's say, 2%, the schools have to raise tuition by 4% in order to keep pace, in order for them to be financially uh, to, to keep their fin- yes, yes, financially independent. So it's clear it's double the rate of, fina- of, 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 of inflation. That's what tuition increases have to be. So this is something that seems to be endemic to the education sector. Correct. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's get a little bit, if you could give a, a brief overview of what your idea was and is, your idea, the endowment fund idea, and how it works. Without getting too detailed, because uh, people who want to see the details could, see, could read the plan which we're going to link up in the show notes. But uh, if you could just give an, a brief overall of how the plan works. All right. The idea is, is that each yeshiva should become self-sustainable and not depend purely on the parents. So what we want to do is every yeshiva should open up an endowment fund. An endowment fund is something where you contribute to the fund and you live off the interest off the fund. You can't touch the money once it goes into the endowment, but you can live off its principle, off the interest. So for example, Harvard University is one of the largest endowment funds in the country, hundreds of millions of dollars. Could you imagine what it would spit off a year? Um, I I, I think it's actually in the billions. It's in the billions. Yes. <laughs> okay. Then you're way ahead of me. Um, it's, it's been a they're while. Way ahead of, they're way ahead of all of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeshiva University, um, uh, many years ago, had a very large endowment fund. Um, and also, but you see, amongst the collegiate level, it's a little bit different. And they use the interest that the, the endowment fund spits off. They use it for other things. What we want to do is make sure that if Yeshiva has enough money, it spits off X percent 
of interest that this should help subsidize tuition. That's the the basic um, understanding of the endowment fund and how the endowment fund should work going towards yeshiva tuition. Mm-hmm. Is that is that how universities use their endowment fund? To that's not how they use it. That's how they do it. Mm-hmm. Um, a Harvard University doesn't lower tuition, but they'll do other things with it. Mm-hmm. We have to outthink them mm-hmm. and say, you know what? If we can, if they can do it, we can do it, and we need to do it because we got to help the parents. Because if tuition is is an average of seventeen thousand dollars a year, can we really afford thirty thousand in seven years? So we need to come up with something that we have to make ourselves independent. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how, how would it work, the, the endowment fund? It would, we, we, where would the money come from and where would, it be, where would it be held? Okay. What we're saying is every yeshiva or most yeshivas have a board. And it used to be many, many years ago that tuition, when, when I should say it differently, when a yeshiva needed money, they would go out to the non-religious, and the non-religious helped support yeshivas. What we're trying to do is go back out and capture that money. You see, the, the non-religious have become, and, and even some of the religious people, they don't want to give the tuition anymore because they're going to be giving money. I shouldn't say tuition. They're going, to, they're going to go back and they don't want to give money to a school that can't sustain itself, plus has to go back six months just to pay the rebellion. It's very hard to go to a very rich guy and say, here's what we want you, want you to do. We want you to give money. And we want you to pay the Rebbe's because we haven't paid them in six months. What they understand is endowments. The largest endowments right now, or the, 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 the I'm not saying this correctly. Right, the largest recipients of, of, uh, of the financial contrib- of, of donations. Is that what you mean to say? Yes, correct. Are going to museums, hospitals, libraries, and these are Jews. That's where their money is going. Why can't we tap into that market and say, why don't you give it to our yeshiva? Give it to our school. It's the link between the Jewish, between being Jewish today, tomorrow, next year, and the following years. But we haven't given them the stucco box of the 21st century. That we haven't done. And we've alienated these people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we need to come up with a, with something that they can understand that they will have a chalak, a portion in this school forever. Mm-hmm. That's something that the rich understand. There's trillions of dollars of Jewish money out there. We just need to capture one percent of it. And again, I'm not talking about from money. I'm talking about Jewish money. We just need to get them to give it to us, to the yeshiva world, and get the yeshiva world to do something that's very productive with that money. Mm-hmm. Okay. How willing do you think 
the the non from wealthy Jewish community would be would be to donate contribute to something that's essentially a religious institution. As you know, the the secular Jews are becoming increasingly increasingly alienated from their Jewish heritage as the as the generations go on, and they become very liberal and very anti-religious. Do you think that there there is a sizable enough of a population of Jewish of wealthy Jews that would contribute to a yeshiva system? Let's assume it's one percent. So what we said before was ninety nine percent don't have to give. We need one percent to give, and probably a half a percent to give. Mm-hmm. So we're we're excluding most of them. The way it should be approached is is that you have a board on a school, and they keep the school running day to day. Get another board, a board of businessmen, of doctors and lawyers, of accountants, um, to go out there and try and find people who can they can sit down and talk to um, and make them understand how important it is to the yeshivas, which is the future of the Jewish people. Will it be easy? No, but it will, like I said before, it's a sucker box of the 21st century. We can't keep going to the same people over and over and over again. It just doesn't work. And that's why we need to, we need to find a new way to get money. Mm-hmm. You know, I spoke to a couple of these uh, rich guys and financial advisors and all the financial advisors of people with millions of dollars say this is the greatest thing you can do is open up or start an endowment fund mm-hmm. because not only do you have a portion, um, not only do you have a portion of the school that goes on, this, the chalik the in the school forever, mm-hmm. but you also get tax deductions um, and they're going to give the money somewhere anyway. So why not give it towards to, uh, Jewish education? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, sounds like a great idea. And where is the money? The money is kept in a separate account, obviously. The school has no access to it, right? The school should have no access to it. The, there should be seven fiduciaries, five to seven fiduciaries that sign on the account that will become responsible if any of that money is taken out, any of the principal is taken out or the interest is used for things other than reduction of tuition. Mm-hmm. So that, that, It should be noted that we're not taking away the job of the executive director. The executive director who needs a school to run day to day, we're not taking away his job. But we're going to make it in the future much easier. Listen, this isn't for me, and it may not be for you because we're a little bit older. But we got to do this for our grandchildren. Right. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it, it's already <laughs> extremely difficult for a family to survive on, uh, on, on a middle-class salary given the cost of, of yeshiva tuition. And it's a, a program that's there specifically dedicated to lowering the cost of tuition should be something that <laughs> helps a lot of people at one time. Correct. Correct. And if we don't do this, if we don't do something, you know, there are a lot of people who are waiting for vouchers and they've been waiting for vouchers and waiting for vouchers forever. Government. They're waiting for the government to help. 
the government vouchers, and they'll still be waiting for it, you know, in many years to come. But we got to do it ourselves. We got to make it happen for ourselves. And this is the best way to do it, mm-hmm. is start endowment funds. Let's go to the rich and give them something that they can understand that they're already doing. So uh, tell me, you have something in here which is an incentive program for the school. Obviously, to raise, raising money for, the, for these endowment funds would fall on the school initially. Is that correct? The raising definitely would fall on the school and this new board. The, you know, there was the Samus Foundation in Seattle, just to bring that up for a second, where they subsidized tuition. Um, and the enrollment in the schools went up tremendously. And they subsidized tuition, I think it was for 10 years. And it really did well. But I think there was the Samus Foundation that was doing it by himself. And eventually it stopped. With endowment funds, what we're trying to do is appeal to the very wealthy people and say, listen, take X amount of dollars and put it aside. And if yeshiva reaches a goal, you give a yeshiva a, a certain goal that if they reach X percent of their budget, the rich, we, let's, call, let's say the from guy will say, I will give you 10% to go towards your endowment, 20% to go towards your endowment fund, if you reach a certain amount yearly. So let's say Yeshiva has an annual budget of $1 million. If you put away uh, $100,000 in an endowment, I will give you X amount of money towards that, uh, towards that goal. If you don't reach the goal, we can't give you anything. Now, what's the incentive for the rich guy? The incentive for the rich guy is, is that he is making let's call it money, which is mitzvahs, on his money. Because he has the ability to, you know, it's like a lot of stuckers happen, do this this way. If you reach a goal of $50,000, they'll double it. Matching campaign. A A matching campaign, right? A matching campaign. And this is what they need to do because, you know, we're, we're targeting the same guys over and over and over again. So you have a guy, I know for me, my kids are done with tuition. I, my, my, I mean, I'm done with tuition. My kids have all graduated. Yeshiva comes to me. I'm really not that interested in giving to yeshivas. I, I have other things that we need to give to. There's a neom and there's people who need a refuah. This is what we're giving to. But if you came up with a plan that said this is a matching plan and I will force the yeshiva to reach, let's call it 10 to 15% of their annual budget, it's a win-win for me. And it's a win-win for the guy who, for the gavir, who wants to give a lot of money. And I'm talking now the from gavir. Mm-hmm. Right. It's a win-win for him. Mm-hmm. So after... after- at what point does a school technically have enough in their endowment fund that they won't, that it won't have to charge tuition or only have to charge a minimal amount? Well, it's a good question. Uh, I would say at this point, um, 
if the interest rates over, if the market goes over 10 years, it should average about 10%. If you have about 17 to 18 times your annual budget, and I'm just doing this off, off the cuff, that should be enough to really make a dent in yeshiva's tuition. Re- when I say really make a dent, come close to not wiping it out completely, but if you're doing 17, 18, 19% of your annual budget within the endowment fund and you're, and you're averaging about 10% over 10 years, that's a lot of money. It, it should really make a dent mm-hmm. into covering tuition. Right. And, that's, and, that, and is that too optimistic of a, of a return? Over 10 years? Well, to say that you'll average 10% uh, return. Over 10 years. A yeah. 10% return over 10 years. Yeah. You want to say it's a bit optimistic? Fine. 8%, 7%. Mm-hmm. If, you, if, you, if you do it, you know, you, you do it in the market. Do it in, do in, it, in the mutual funds and uh, you know, conservative right. investments. Conser- intelligently. Mm-hmm. That's right. when, you, you know, if, you, if, if we're going to target 15, 20%, well, we'll have a made-off situation all over again. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it'll be hard to raise money for that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, now, that, now that we have the details of the plan, and it sounds like a great plan. So tell us your history. You've been working on this for a while. What, did, what, what, was, you, what was your initial steps in trying to get this adopted? Uh, it was, at the beginning, the major cities were very difficult. Um, everybody likes to make Shabbos for themselves. What <laughs> I was trying, what I was trying to do is get the couple of Gavirim to sponsor their neighborhoods. So for example, get a couple of the Gavirim in just using this as an example, whether it's Muncie, whether it's Manhattan, whether it's Queens, whether it's Long Island to say, we will we will pool our money and each yeshiva is given their budget. And if each yeshiva meets their budget, then X, then a portion of our money will go towards that yeshiva. The reason it was, one of the reasons it wasn't su- successful is that a Kavir says, I'll do it, but I don't want my money going to this yeshiva or I don't want my money going to that yeshiva. Um, it, it, it became a problem because everybody wanted to pick and choose where the money went. I was hoping, and I'm talking about yeshiva, from yeshivas. I'm not talking about day schools. I'm talking about yeshivas. That was one of the major obstacles I came across. The other major obstacle I came across was that there were certain yeshivas, I'm sorry, there were certain gavir who said, if I don't give the, the yeshivas money for tuition today, they're not going to survive. So I need to pay them today, mm-hmm. to which I was trying to tell them because the firm line today does not understand endowments because it's something so foreign to them. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to get them to portion certain monies just to go for the endowment mm-hmm. because otherwise the system's going to break. So we can't live in a welfare state today. We've got to put money aside for tomorrow. And a lot of the Gavirim, at least in the major cities, didn't understand. Now, in smaller cities, 
we were able to get them to in- understand the situation. They w- everyone was just afraid to be the Nachshon. No one wanted to be the first guy to do it. So it, it was, it's a very good idea, but I was unable to execute it at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, did you go, just curious, did you go out and get any Gedolim to sign on it, any Das Terra, some, you know, some rabbinic approval so that they could give it some fuel? Uh, no. Um, you know, when I started the insurance for a Bayam program, I didn't, this goes back 10 years ago, I did not ask for any Haskamas. Why? Because if you did it, that's a Haskamah. I was saying every yeshiva should have, should give their rebbies $250,000 worth of life insurance, which would cost about $300 a year per rebbe. Mm-hmm. The yeshiva of Novomins, the Novominska Rebbe loved the program. He gave each yeshiva $900,000. Each rebbe. $900,000. Did I ever ask for Haskama? No. But that was his Haskama. He right. did it. Mm-hmm. This makes sense. And uh, did I ask for Haskama? No. But I don't think I, I, I need yeah, one. You don't need one. Uh, yeah. Because it just makes sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you, you spent time, you spent, uh, you sp- you spent uh, money on ads. You, you worked hard on this. Yeah, I spent a lot of money on full-page ads to go out and try and get this thing accomplished. Mm-hmm. Um, I gave up for a few years, um, but I, I think it's time that we get back into it because if we don't, the system's going to break. If, 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 if it hasn't already broken, <laughs> it'll, it'll really break. Yeah, I mean it's frightening to 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 think about how long this economic this this depression or recession or whatever you want to call it as a result of the virus and the whole shutdown of the economy. It's frightening to think how that's going to affect our yeshivas and our educational institutions because right now they're living off of government money, but that's going to stop very soon. And right. there's no question about it. Every single almost every single sector of the economy has been very hard hit. From, uh, from the from the coronavirus, and there's no question about it that our from donor community has been affected to the point where they're going to have to sl- slow down their con- contributions. So you know it's it's frightening to think of how that's going to affect our schools. And and what you were saying, and this is this is like a wake up call, a very strong wake up call. We got to do something. We have to keep our we have to secure our institutions by having a, a reliable source of funds to keep us going even when times are hard. Could you imagine, and everything you said was right on the money, but could you imagine if these yeshivas had started an endowment fund way back when, and they still had uh, an income coming in via the fund? And this is going to happen overnight. It's going to take some time to build up the fund. But you can, you can get to the non from you can get the unaffiliated. You can get to them. Just give them something to that's tangible that they can understand. If you could sell to tell a guy, listen, you're going to give a hundred million dollars to a museum. Take five million dollars and give it towards education. That's something that they can understand. Mm-hmm. 
We're just not doing a very good job of going after them, if any job at all. Right. <laughs> yeah. So t- t- could you describe like a, 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 typical, a typical interaction that you had with a school when you present them with this idea, you present them with this plan? What's their reaction? <laughs> the reaction was, great, bring me the money. <laughs> just like that. And I said, but don't you understand? It's going to take work on your part. That's why you've got to get a board together and to, to, to figure out how to go after these big monies. How did Yeshiva University do it? How did these, all these other places do it? You, maybe you can go to your alumni, but alumni's parents, alumni's grandparents, that's one of the ways Yeshiva University did it and said, listen, I know you're out of the, you're, you're out of the tuition business because you, your kids and grandkids are already grown up. But what about giving money towards our endowment fund? There are ways to get it done. But if the yeshivas keep sitting on their, on, on their hands and saying, I just don't know what to do, that yeshiva, God forbid, may not be around in a few years. Right. So instead of just saying, what can you give me? Let's figure out what we can offer to mm-hmm. people that will make them want to give. To, to, to Torah education. Right. And, and the idea of a, an endowment fund is something that is very appealing for people to leave in their wills. They're not only to leave, in, leave into their wills, there's also, um, you can set it up via charitable trusts um, where, let's say you say to the yeshiva, and I, I'm not an insurance guru, but if you say to the yeshiva, buy a policy for me, mm-hmm. name the kids as the, of, as the beneficiaries, mm-hmm. um, and the excess money goes to your, to, to your endowment. Right. In other words, let's say a guy has a million dollars. He splits it up between 500000 per kid. Now, what I believe a charitable trust will do is – a guy says, you know what? I'm going to take out a policy on myself for $2 million. Mm-hmm. And it'll cost me X. Yeshiva, you buy the policy for me. And that'll give each kid more than the $500,000. And the remainder goes to the yeshiva. Mm-hmm. There are different ways to do this. And one of the things I would do if I was a yeshiva, is that I would go to these financial advisors and figure out the best way to get it done and the most appealing way to get it done so you you curry favor with the rich people and in and give them and I keep repeating myself this is the stucker box of the 21st century asking them for $5000 it's not appealing to them and I'm, again, I'm talking about the non-from. Right. The guys with the big money will give. We just right. got to give them a reason to give. They want to give smartly. They don't want to just give. Correct. You're yeah. saying it better than I am. <laughs> right. So I want to suggest something. I just Thinking of, of from the school's standpoint, why they wouldn't want to do it. So there's the obvious reason of, of it's just it's hard. Like they have to actually put work into it. It's not overnight. It's, it's not something you do overnight. They have to actually put strategy into how to approach these wealthy secular Jews. 
Um, they have to t- uh, allocate resources that they may not have, like a fundraiser. And it's just right now they're, they're like they're just so busy putting out fires and trying to cover each month's payroll that they don't have the headspace for it. That's probably the primary reason why a school would be wouldn't be so excited about this. Uh, but there's another thing, another challenge for the school. So increasingly, over the, the last you know the last couple of decades, schools have gone from being mostly a community institution to become like private institutions, where a private individual will open a school on behalf of the community and raise the money himself or her, for, for, or, or themselves on behalf of, the, of, of a group of children that they're, a group of a community that they're trying to target and, and build a school for. So I think there's that fear that if they go and, and, and put effort into building an endowment fund that's independent of themselves, they somehow lose control over the school. The school becomes more of a community institution and it's something that they spent a lifetime building up, they're, they're basically ceding control of the institution, of the Maiset, to an independent board that doesn't answer to them. I think that's frightening to, uh, to someone who worked so hard to build the school. Well, the way the, the plan is constructed is that if you, do, if you want to give money towards the endowment fund, that money that goes into the endowment fund, those books have to be open to the public. So if Yeshiva doesn't want to do it, that's their problem. But the endowment books have to be opened. So if I want to give $50,000 to Yeshiva towards their endowment, I want to see what they've done with their endowment fund over the last number of years. So if he, they, if he said, listen, I've taken no money in, I've reinvested it, so I can reach a certain point where it can, it's, it's going to spit out a certain dollar amount, that to me is very appealing. If they take out a certain amount and it ha- and it goes towards um, tuition, that's very appealing. This money is not to be used to buy desks, pencils, chalkboards. It's not to be used for that. And that's why those books have to be open. So if I, as a giver, want to see it, I have every right to see it. Not the regular books from the yeshiva, but the endowment books have to be open. Mm-hmm. So if that's something that the yeshiva is afraid of, they may not get the necessary funding through the endowment that they need. But that would be their issue. What, what we were saying before, the fear that a, a school might have or the, 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 the owners or the operators of a school might have, if there if exists a very sizable endowment fund that basically covers 75 or 80 percent of their annual budget, does, is that, a, is that a, a real fear that they really lose control over the school policy because the, the, basically school is funded without them? They don't really need the owner or the executive of the school to do anything. The executive director will always have a job. He's got to keep the school running. But could you imagine, Halavai, we should get to a position where 75% of the school is, is being run correctly and 75 percent i should say is covering tuition we'd be in utopia this would be fantastic right would yeshiva be nervous that they're losing control i can't answer that i don't know like like for example if a school wants to have a policy over the 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 level of frumkite that uh, for the the families that they want they want to only a certain demographic a certain segment of the, of the 
of the community. And the board is going to say, you know, we have this endowment fund and you're excluding, uh, you know, the, the whole different segment of the community. It's not right. We want those kids to be accepted as well. Or we want, let's say, even kids that come from uh, homes that are not Shama Shabbos or, or, or the, the religious level is not as high as the, you know, it's something like that where it's a legitimate fear, legitimate concern, but they really don't have control because the school's money is coming from the endowment fund. Could you imagine in such a situation, you have three different types, four different types of yeshivas, and everybody participated in the program, and everybody was successful. Then you wouldn't have to worry about it, because each kid would go where they feel is best for their child. If you have one yeshiva, and it's a very right-wing yeshiva, and the kid is not as right-wing, so what you're asking me is, would he, because yeshiva tuition is reduced, he would want to send these kids there where the other yeshivas, which he would naturally fit into a lot better, they did not enroll in that program. Right. Is that what you're, is that what you're asking? That could me? be a concern. Because that in that case, be, you know, well, you're, sure. excluding, you're excluding someone that, you know, the board might say, what right do you have to exclude them? Exactly. Yeah. And so what's the worst case scenario? Somebody gets a, someone who is not as from gets a fantastic Torah education. <laughs> right. That's the worst case scenario. <laughs> well said. Well said. Yeah. Okay. So before we go, let me just ask you, you're, you're a consultant. You think of ideas for businesses. And when one idea doesn't work, you come up with another idea or you, uh, you consider other ideas. Have you heard of any or considered any other ideas, different, totally different from the endowment fund, that would also help in terms of bringing down the cost of tuition for Jewish families? None that I could think of. Okay. None that, because this is a tried and true program. I didn't invent endowment funds. Right. It's done on the collegiate level with hundreds and hundreds of millions of, of billions of dollars. So this isn't something that Jeff Kirschbaum created. We're just saying, hey, if it works for, on the collegiate level, why can't it work? On the yeshiva level, on K through 12, it just doesn't make any sense why it can't work. Yeah, absolutely. But let, let me just say one other thing, because I'd be remiss if I didn't say it. There was a program many years ago called the 5% Mandate, started by George Haynes out of Chicago. I was the executive director for New York for that program. He was the one who brought enlightened me for sure and enlightened a lot of schools and the importance of endowment funds. So it's not as if I woke up one day and thought about this. He was the one who really enlightened me about it and enlightened a lot of people about it. So I just, you know, it's just, it's important that everyone understands, or at least I, I clear my conscience. This was not my invention. This was his He's a great man, and uh, he deserves all the credit. Mm -hmm. Okay, but a, a big lesson that we could all take out of what you did is that you, as a layperson, not associated with the schools, not involved in the schools, you just saw a crisis unfolding, and you did something about it. You, can't, you, you wrote up a business plan, you spent money on advertising, you approached schools, you took the initiative. You didn't just stand by and say, it's not my problem. And if everyone who has a good idea wouldn't just throw their idea on somebody, but actually get up and do something about it like you, like you did, 
we we'd be in a lot better place. Yeah, it's, it's not our job to finish it, but let's at least start it. If everybody does their bit, their their bits and pieces, we'd accomplish it. Mm-hmm. Uh, not one guy can accomplish it on their own, but let's all do our part. Mm-hmm. Jeff, you're an inspiration for all of us, and we we really really hope that something gets done. Your endowment fund does take off so, so, somehow, some way. And we should be we should be to see a day that uh, yeshiva tuition is is not a struggle for so many families. You've been listening to Chinuch 2.0, a show exploring the changes happening to how we do Chinuch. Chinuch 2.0 is hosted and produced by me, Aaron Parnas. Special thanks to David Lichtenstein of Headlines, who inspires the show. You can subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts or on our website, chinuchshow.com. For suggestions, comments, or guests' ideas, please visit chinuchshow.com. Thanks for listening.